I definitely had some blood and that's where, you know, I learned from the duel. Okay. That's an indication. I didn't think my water broke. However, when we got to the hospital, we learned otherwise. I also knew from the doula that it's pretty common for your water to not break and for the hospital to have to do it for you. So I wasn't really waiting for that. But when I did see blood, I was like, all right, this is, this is it. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And today we're bringing my wife, Erin, back on the show for part two of Becoming Parents. And right by my side, we have our son, Aiden, who was born in April. And in the previous episode on part one, Erin talked about her journey through pregnancy, and now we have the story of her giving birth and one month into parenthood. So I'd love to kick it over to you to kind of describe what we're going to talk about here today. Yeah, so now that we're one one month into being parents um, and just having released our last episode, which was our 39 weeks of pregnancy update, I was listening back on it, and it's interesting hearing like what we were thinking we were going to be going through at this time and then actually having experienced it. So we'll talk a little bit about what we've experienced in this first four weeks, a little bit about our birth story and some recommendations we have based on all that. And yeah. Yeah. So let's get right into it. We were at 39 weeks when we recorded last. And if you're familiar with full term in pregnancy, typically it's about 40 weeks. And Aaron actually went over 40 weeks. So let's just start there. So once you got to 40 weeks, kind of like what was going through your mind? and Yeah, so I think that in itself was a surprise to me because um, I was under the impression that a lot of people do deliver early. So your due date is just a due date. It's just a guesstimate as to when your baby will arrive. But so it's not 100% accurate, as we all know. But I wasn't like in my head, I was not expecting to go past the due date. Like I was like, okay, April 14th, that's when the baby's here. Anytime after that, the baby will be here. And yeah, so when that day rolled around and no baby, it was starting to be like, okay, when is this baby coming? And 40 weeks uh, came and went. And then I started doing everything I could to induce labor, which was very interesting. Yeah. So if you saw us walking around the neighborhood, it works. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it just took a couple of days. If you saw us walking around the neighborhood, we were doing curb walking. walking. And then what was the the miles circuit that we were doing? If you could explain what that is. Yeah. So uh, we didn't actually, the it was kind of variations of the, the mile circuit, which are like a series of poses that help the positioning of the baby into the pelvis. Uh, we did spinning babies, which is, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but that's literally what it's called. And there's three poses that we did, which were kind of ridiculous. Uh, but we did them like five times I'd say right like towards the end where we were like anything to get this baby out because I was getting really uncomfortable and we were just really eager and ready yeah the funny part is if you're trying to picture this Aaron's on her all fours and then we have like a towel type of 
um, or like a sheet underneath her around underneath her belly. My belly and yeah. then I'm above her and I'm literally Holding pulling the, the sheet back yeah. and forth and you described it as like milking a cow which yeah, kind of was how like I felt like funny. I was like a cow and then <laughs> one of them was you kind of have to do a headstand you put your knees on the cushion of a couch and you put your head on the ground and you just stay like that for a little bit and luckily I'm kind of you know into all calisthenics and stuff so that's like no problem for me, but I don't think everyone would want to do that. So just disclaimer, those yeah. are the poses. Before we before we get into the next thing, I just want to note here that before jumping on this episode, we fed Aiden, tried to put him down in his bassinet, and I have the monitor here in front of me, and he started whining, and we had to actually end the previous episode, and we just restarted it because we brought him in here. And what is the thing that he's laying in? Uh, What's that called? Snuggle me lounger. Snuggle me lounger. So we've found that he loves to like, he's pretty good. He'll like sleep and he only like fusses when he's hungry. But during the day, he doesn't like to sleep alone. Like he doesn't need to be honest per se, but literally he's sitting here in the podcast room with us. And as soon as he comes in here, stops fussing and now he's passed out right right next to me. So (laughs) I'm not, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, but but we Let's, think he likes the company. Yeah, he likes so, to know that we're around. Yeah, he likes that, and he's been spoiled the past couple of weeks with grandparents yeah. in town mm-hmm. and a bunch of people. Um, but let's get into the actual story of giving birth because something that I wasn't expecting was that this was going to be a 24-hour process. I knew that it wasn't just like one hour, but I wasn't expecting to be there almost an entire day before you even began pushing the baby out. So describe when, one, like, when you started going into the labor to how you knew you were going into labor. And then the third part of like, how do we know when to go to the hospital? Yeah. So a lot of this is really credit to our doula, which we talked about in the previous episode that we were hiring a birth doula, but, um, you know, the real duty of the birth doula comes in on the day when you are going into labor and have, you know, your birth experience. So, uh, Really, we, we used Austin Birth Company, and Brandy was amazing. So just shout out to her if she's listening. Um, I recommend them a 100 times just based on how relieved we were to have her with us the whole time. And we'll go into some of that and why we felt it was beneficial as we explain this. But I did want to say that a lot of this, that a lot of our story and when we went to the hospital and everything was all credit to like the guidance from the doula. And I think one of the biggest surprises that I've had going into the pregnancy and, you know, motherhood journey is just a lot of the lack of communication or the lack of advice and guidance from your doctor. Um, you know, just before I get into the story of our birth, I'll just say for anyone who, you know, has going through motherhood or is going to be pregnant and go through it, you'll have, you know, monthly checkups with your OB. And then as you hit, I think it's like week 36, they become biweekly checkups and you go in there and they're kind of like, okay, what questions do you have? And as a first time mom, you really don't know what questions to ask. So you can do your due diligence and research and everything, but until you go through it, you don't really know. Well, it it just comes back back to they're just a product of the actual system that they're in. The oh, system, yeah. I'm not system, discrediting doctors at all. I'm just saying I felt like I was going to have Yeah, but more... the, the expectation of what a doctor is is what I want you to portray. Is this like the doc, the way that they went about 
your pregnancy is the same way that they go in the normal healthcare system where it's all just emergency. Like if there was an emergency, treatment, treatment. she would be able to guide you. Yeah, but absolutely. the preventative and like the information you're looking for leading up to your birth, like it's not, it's not up to date and it's not there. That's not what they're unfortunately there for. And I think that expectation, True. I don't, I want to put it as like, that, that's my, that's on me. That's that on us. Like it. if we're yeah. expecting that and I want to change people's expectations, right. if you change people's expectations, you're going to change their actions. If they're not expecting that from their doctors, then they're going to seek the doulas and, and other places. And that's really what we want to speak to because if we're, it's like, it's like expecting anything in life that just isn't the reality. And we want to change that a little bit. So I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but from the outside looking in, like she was exactly doing what, what, yeah, what we know absolutely. her to be, which is just the healthcare system. Right. But that's where I was saying, you know, for us, it was really beneficial to have the doula to go through some of the things like that I'll be experiencing when I go into early labor. And then when I know I'm in active labor and then when to go to the hospital and things like that, that just weren't really addressed at the weekly check-ins. So anyway, um, <laughs> Aiden just, just got a little startled. Um, so back to my birth experience and, and labor process. So I think I'm at 40 weeks and four days or so. It was Tuesday night. Um, and we bought out all the stops that night. That was like, we're going to try everything to try yeah, we, we to really induce did. because we didn't want you to have to be induced that Thursday. Right. So that, that's a key point. So, uh, the doctor was like, okay, my last appointment with her was on my due date. And she said, if you're still pregnant by next Thursday, um, we'll set up an appointment with the hospital for you to be induced on Thursday and you'll give birth on Friday. So you'll be exactly 41 weeks. We don't want you to go past 41 weeks. And in my head, you know, that wasn't really the birth plan that I had in mind. I wanted to, this to be a spontaneous labor and because in my opinion, that was when the baby would be most ready to come out. Um, so I really didn't want to go through the induction. So we were trying everything we could to naturally induce. So that night, as CJ was saying, it was the it was the Monday or Tuesday before. Um, and I, at this point, since I've never gone through this before, I was like very skeptical of knowing whether I was going to be in labor. I'm like Googling, like, how do you know you're having contractions? Like, what do contractions feel like? I was feeling like weird pains like not I wouldn't describe them as pains but like crampiness sometimes on our our nightly walks and and you know you start to get in your head and so I'll be laying there in bed and I'm like oh was that something like I don't know maybe there was a tightening there it could have been something uh but everything I read was like you're gonna know and I was talking to like my sister and family and everything and they're like y you'll know so I went to bed everything was fine Two in the it morning. It was like about two, two in the morning. I went up to use the restroom and I definitely started to feel crampiness. And I like t nudged CJ and I was like, I think I'm having contractions. I think they're starting. <laughs> and he was like, okay. Like, and just went back to sleep. And so I, of course, couldn't really sleep very well after that because I was like, is this happening? I think it's happening. I'm just going to try and get some rest. So I get some rest. 8 a.m., you know. No, we were around. up for like five. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, we were whatever. up around We got five. up early. Um, and I was still feeling it and they're pretty consistent, but I would, it was very manageable. It wasn't painful at all. It was just like a cramping in my lower stomach area where I was like, this feels like something. And 
so I was like, I texted the doula that morning and <laughs> actually logged into my computer to do some things for work, sent an email and I was like, I got to log off for the day. Like this is happening. Like I started, it started to get consistent and I was like, I think this is happening. Texted the doula and said, Hey, just a heads up. Here's what's happening. And she was like, all right, just rest and go about your day. And we're like, go about our day. <laughs> like, I feel like we, we need to be on, on, but in hindsight, it was really good that we got the rest. So went about our day, I would say. Which consisted which of? Which consisted of me trying to calm myself from like thinking about how spaced out uh, these cramps were feeling. Um, so we watched, what was it? We literally binge watched of- the whole series of The Night, The Night agent yeah the night yeah, agent yeah it was good it yeah it was a good show and kept me and we made distracted. it through the whole thing we made it through the whole thing i stayed distracted and it's i guess it was like 2 p.m in the afternoon where i started to feel pain and i was like all right cj i think this is time we start using the app to to time the contractions and you got on the ball as uh nothing felt comfortable like just sitting on the couch i was starting to not be able to manage that so i got out my big yoga ball and the only thing that felt comfortable was to kind of sit on that and breathe through it and another thing that we learned from the doula was that you know the more you can labor at home the better so get through as much of the early labor process as you can because the hospital you know sometimes you'll just be waiting around for a really long time and you want to be through it as much as you can in the comfort of your home with the you know the rest that you can get the food that you can have you have at home and everything so we were really trying to do that made it through like the afternoon so it was like two like three or four p.m and at that point cj was communicating solely with the doula because uh, i was in a lot of pain and really focusing on getting through that and we decided it was time to make our way to the hospital well no wait let's let's go through that decision because i think one of the struggles that you're going to have if you're going through this is not really being sure of how dilated you are and when you should actually go to the hospital, especially I would say if you're somebody that considers yourself to have a higher pain tolerance or if you just been through certain traumas in your life, you're an athlete, like you're in tune with your body, but you're not really sure what you should be feeling. Yeah, I'm like the worst. When, when someone asks me on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate this pain? That is my least favorite question because I'm like, well, I'm not dead. So it's not Yeah, a 10. you just get up in your head. Yeah. So for, and then from the, from the male perspective, for me, it's like, shit, like I see my wife in pain. I immediately want to be like, let's go to the hospital. But then I'm juggling in my mind. Like if we get to the hospital and then we're there way too early and we don't, they don't even give us a room because something we learned is like, if you're not dilated enough, they won't admit you. And then, so all these things are going through your head and we started timing your contractions and ultimately we made the decision to go to the hospital because Aaron and I looked at each other and we're just like, we'd be more, we're more like, you're very adaptable and so am I. And I get how the hospital setting would stress certain people out. It's more comfortable to be at home. But for us, the comfortability is like in knowing that if she's going to have this baby, like we're in the surroundings where she can have the baby. And we decided to go to the hospital, which was a good thing because as soon as you got up and I'm literally getting rushing to get things put into the truck that we already had a lot in there, but like cold items and things that I couldn't put in until we, till last minute. And then what happened? 
Oh, I, I got, I was in so much pain that I felt like I needed to vomit. So I, <laughs> you get it, to the front door. I, I, I ran to the front door and this is rare. Like the last time I actually threw up was when I was pregnant coming home from my sister's wedding. And remember I yeah, got, that was the only time throughout pregnancy. Yeah. One time. I think that was car sickness though. You were eating like beef jerky and stuff in the car after a long weekend. <laughs> so there, let's sidebar. But yeah, she gets to the front door and is like, I think I'm going to think I'm going to be sick. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, like this is a great decision. Now it's like hyperdrive. How do we, how do we get to the hospital to make sure that you're not throwing up in the truck and like, also get like admitted. to any women out there, I also uh, was experiencing like spotting. So I, I definitely had some blood and that's where, you know, I learned from the dual. Okay. That's an indication. I didn't think my water broke. However, when we got to the hospital, we learned otherwise, but uh, I also knew from the doula that it's pretty common for your water to not break and for the hospital to have to do it for you. So I wasn't really waiting for that. But when I did see blood, I was like, all right, this is this is it. So that was another signal that this was happening and we were moving closer. So then we get to the hospital and uh, they admitted us to triage, which is kind of like the pre-labor area. And that's where they kind of check how far along you are, ask you all the questions um, but it's very difficult because you're in, I mean, depending on what stage of the labor you're in, like I was in so much pain, I couldn't even think about answering their questions. <laughs> and um, we found out. Yeah, again, it, it, you go from being confused at home to like you get to this hospital environment and you would think that it would. It's a smoother it check-in it would, process. But. Yeah, but you get there and no one, for, when we first got there, no one's to be found. I had to like walk down the hall to like get somebody to come in here. Because I have no idea like where you're at in the process. You just have the gauge of like, okay, I'm in a lot of pain. This is happening. Mm -hmm. So, and at that moment, we learned once we saw the nurse. It's the nurse that hooks up, hooks you up to the IV, and kind of gets you set up to go to the labor and delivery area. Um, so at that point, they were asking me a lot of questions about my contractions, and I was feeling a lot in my back, and. They also confirmed that my water had already broken. So they were like, okay, um, your water's definitely broken. Do you know when this happened? I had no idea. Um, so it might have happened like on the way to the hospital or something like that, but I really didn't know. So that was one interesting thing that we experienced. The other was that they told us, okay, if you're feeling a lot of pain in your back, um, we think, you know, your baby might be in a sunny side up position. And I didn't know much about that. I knew that that was somewhat of a common thing where you could still deliver uh, vaginally that way. So I w wasn't letting it get to me too much. But they were like, okay, when you get up to the labor and delivery room, here are some things that you can do. You can do these positions and poses and everything to try to get the baby to flip. I'm like, okay, I couldn't even comprehend it at that point because I was in so much pain. So, But there's a few things we need to note here. When you first got in triage, how dilated were you? I forget. I think I was like a five. Yeah, you were five centimeters. Yeah. And another thing you were mentioning, pain in your back, another thing that's good advice for women out there. What were you using on your back to help? Yeah, I forgot to mention that. So from our doula, we were given a TENS unit. Um, they're like little electrodes that you put on your back. And every time you feel a contraction, you press the button and it kind of distracts you from the pain. And so you, you turn, you dial up the intensity until you can't feel the pain as strongly. And so that was really helpful to me <laughs> when we finally saw the duelist. She was like, you had this up all the and way. If you're a husband out there, a good way to get like 
brownie points is if you're listening to this, buy that for your wife. Cause I noticed an immediate difference. Like we started using it at home. So you, when you were on the ball, we put it on you. Uh, and there was an immediate difference in And it was also helpful, like when we got to the labor and delivery room and my contractions were getting worse and closer together, you were the one to press the button. I was like, okay, press it. And I didn't have to think about even pressing it. I was just br- focusing on my breathing and everything. The other thing that was a little bit shocking to us in triage is your projectile vomit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How could I forget I, that? That was when I started to be like, is this, like, is this a normal process? Like, what is going on? Because... It was uncontrollable. Yeah. Um, so it, it was an interesting thing where you went from, okay, I'm in pain, I'm in a lot of pain, and let me make it clear, like she, you were doing great, and out of nowhere, it's like I need a bag, like, and you're like holding it in your mouth, um, and it was super cool for me to watch because I think your body just it's kicks cool in. To watch me vomit. Yeah, because like it, it's such like. It, not yeah. not cool because I'm like, damn, this sucks for her. But you're in such a state that your body is so in the zone with what's happening. It was like, I'm holding this bag, you're projectile vomiting into it. And then immediately you like tra- go back into a trance of, yeah, I'm in I labor think what pushing I was going, this baby out. Like, if I think about what was going through my mind at the time, I was really thinking, okay, how long... I wanted an answer for everything. I'm like, okay, well, how long does it take to go from like five to 10? And really the reality is everyone's different and everyone's labor is different. So there's no rhyme or reason. And it's different for first child, second child, so on and so forth. Yeah. And I I was trying to gauge like time, times of everything and there's no answer. And as like an engineer person that needs answers, I'm like, this isn't cutting it for me. Like I need to know. Um, But we learned, you know, like through pregnancy, I'm a planner. And I mean, my job is like strategic planning. So like this whole non-controllable thing, I mean, I definitely practice that mindset a lot to really just control what you can. But there are so many variables in this journey that you can't control, especially the birth, labor and delivery process. So I was keeping that in mind, like just control what I can. And that's my breathing, my mindset. And my mindset was, all right, my body is made to do this. Like my body knows what to do. It's made to do this. It's going to do what it has to do. And all I have to do is focus on keeping myself as calm as I can. And triage is even more confusing because if you do hire a doula like we did, which you're going to rely on heavily, uh, both the woman giving birth and then the male, like it was great having her for me. You can't, you can't utilize her in triage. They can't go into triage. So we're like, what the heck is going on? When are we going to be admitted? So even though he was sunny side up and there was a few complications, the fact that your water broke, they admitted us pretty quickly and we were up in your room. So let's transition into, okay, he's sunny side up. They get us into the room. We didn't confirm that until the doctor came to see me, which was later on that evening. And hours going are going by and in my head I was thinking back to the okay, morning that, where I mean I was that brings like, up a good point so we got there at 5 p.m yeah we did we got to our room I would say about 7 7 30 a couple hours later and then we saw the doctor at like eight yeah okay um another thing I didn't know so just be mindful of this if you're listening and, and going to give birth at some point at least at the hospital I was at in Austin um your doctor may be on their shift that time when you get admitted or you may not even have your doctor deliver for you. So my doctor happened to it, be there. I'm, I'm like, if she wasn't on overnight shift that night, I don't she, know if I would have seen her. She just gets called and then 
I don't I'm know. confused what happened. I don't we'll know. We'll have either. to figure that out another time. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's sidebar that until later on in the story because it, it's going to be a, a solid yeah. point. But okay, we get you in the room. Doctor comes. Doctor set the scene. comes. Uh, tells me, okay, yes, your baby is sunny side up. We learn at that point that I had dilated a little bit, but that uh, because of the positioning of the baby, there was some fluid still that was still in there that was kind of like a bubble over the baby's head, kind of preventing the baby from descending down. The doctor was like, I think if we pop this, the the progression of, of labor will you know, happen sooner. And You're going to dilate quicker. I think you were around like eight or nine. Yeah. Like, so this, they were like, this is happening quickly. They called it a balloon and you were at eight or nine. So then we were expecting like, okay, like still, if it's eight I still or had nine no PM, pain medication. My, my birth plan was unmedicated, uh, vaginal delivery. Um, that's what I expressed that I wanted. However, I n- knew going in that I was open-minded to, pain medication and an epidural, I was just like, let me just see how this all unfolds. But that's what I want. That was my intention. Just saying. Um, so then we we uh, learn about the bubble of fluid. The doctor... And then I watch her pop it. <laughs> that so was crazy. That was very interesting. I didn't realize how much fluid you actually... like. It, the body's we were, amazing yeah. how much fluid you actually have in there. And then he, he still has fluid even after that comes out. Which I was like, confused about too because I'm like, but my water broke. But yeah, there's obviously still fluid in there. But Yeah, so yes. w- fluid comes gushing Lots out. Lots of water came out. Then they were like, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're going to wait another hour Couple or two hours. and then and check back in. And this is when you started having second thoughts of like, am I going to be able to make make it to the point of... I was in so much pain at this point. I was like positioned, like facing the the back of the hospital bed, like hanging from it. Uh, I had to like be more vocal with my breathing at that point. And for me, I'm like a very quiet, like pain person. Like I'm not like a, I wasn't like vocal at all through the whole thing. And then my doula was like, you know, it's probably going to help to like let some, let some noise out. (laughs) And it really did like, you know, on the exhale, if I was able to like vocalize it a little bit and use my breath, I was able to get through it better. And, um, so let's, let's jump to that. What was the big help of having the dual over when we first got to the room? One of the biggest, as I reflect, I think one of the biggest benefits I felt from having her was reassurance that everything we are experiencing was normal and okay and she was there to say like here you know here's what your options are here's what they're going to offer you here it's totally okay to do this or it's totally okay to do that and at the point where we were learning that the baby was positioned in a way that was causing him to not descend as quickly and and slowing down my whole labor I was contemplating getting an epidural because I was like, if this is going to be many more hours into the next day, like I'm exhausted and this pain is at an almost unbearable level for me. And I just want to be able to really be present for this and enjoy it as much as possible rather than like, it would be different if it was, if they said, okay, you have like one hour more and I would be like, okay, cool. I can definitely push through it. But I had been laboring and active labor for hours at that point. Well, you kind of still did that. And before I get into that point, the other great thing that she did was she set the room up in a way where we had, what are those lights called? Um, it's almost like a globe. 
that like, yeah, it was like a projecting light on the ceiling. It was like mood lighting. So, you know, the hospital diffuser, has like bright so white lights. Good. Yeah. She brought in a diffuser lighting, um, just really Christmassy made the- <laughs> lights that make it feel like very welcoming. Yeah. It was extremely and relaxed. a nice touch um, and made me feel, but you like did like, we I got could- to the point where she was like, can let's try and make it another hour. Yeah. And let's try and make it another hour until you get that check again. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, they came back and we were just like, you're still at the same position. Um, and then this is when we started learning about uh, zero one, two, like yeah. this, what are they called again? Stations. Sa- stations. So describe what that is. So there's different stations of the baby as it descends down. Um, and you want it to go, so like zero is like a neutral station where they would say, technically you can start pushing at that point, but I think it was plus one and plus two where the head starts to drop even lower. And that's where you want to be ideally for the fastest, uh, pushing and, and delivery delivery process. So So I was at like a minus one. Yeah. Yeah, He he wasn't wasn't changing stations. He wasn't changing station. And that was uh, a product of him being face face for face up um and and so they went they popped that bubble and they were saying that everything was going to go faster after that a couple hours go by the night shift changes rolls around well no you got the epidural before this so i did get the epidural because it was an hour went by and they were telling me it was going to be more hours and like i said i contemplated everything with the doula and with you and everyone was supportive of me and i was like yeah this was part of you know my plan well, was unmedicated the, but i also stayed open minded so we get to 10 p.m. and this is the promise like you get the epidural and you get to sleep for like 4 or 5 6 hours yeah which was like crazy to me i'm like when I came here today, actually, when I woke up at 8 a.m. this morning, I thought I was going to have this baby by like 2 p.m. Like, I did not think I was going to be sleeping at, at what time was it? It was like 10 p.m. And they're like, OK, sleep for five hours and we'll be back. I'm like, what? Like, and that's where another thing, everyone's story is so different. Like some people really do go from like a five to a 10 in like a span of an hour. Well, yeah, because he, so what? As we're learning through this process and we look back, because he was sunny set up, he he wasn't moving stations and he wasn't descending. Mm-hmm. So if he was, if you had been in labor without the epidural and he was descending naturally, like you could have given birth like early soon. that night, right, yeah, right, soon. Right. So we learned that after the fact. But as soon as we learn he's not descending and you're spending a ton of energy on this, and that was my concern is just like the exhaustion of it um, puts you at risk, and that that's really. And the baby. The, the scary part for me is just like, I don't want to put you at risk if we don't have to. And yeah. um, obviously you don't want to do that either. But um, I'm witnessing from the outside. You can feel yourself. But f- as the male, like, and you see your wife in pain, it's almost like this guilt that comes over. Just like, okay, can we give her some relief at some capacity? And knowing that you'd be able to like rest for like three, four, five, six hours, uh, was highly advantageous. So that's what we did. And then they, the other thing is like, they tell you they're going to come back every couple hours and then like, say it's two hours then they come back four hours later. So you have this time that's just like, you're skipping a crucial part of the story, which was that the night shift changed and a a new nurse. No, but I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that point. So she says she's going to come back and check and like, it doesn't really happen. Then we get a new nurse. Be prepared for a million people to check how dilated you are. Like how many times I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. But this is what gets to the, the juicy part of the story. So the new nurse comes in 
and checks her dilation. And then she says you're back at a five. Yeah. And I was like, what? I came in at a five and they said I was at an eight or nine two hours ago. And I'm like, can you please call the doctor and confirm this? Because she told me that I was at an eight or nine. (laughs) And then we had to wait another like two hours. So she comes in and I'm going to speed up some of this part of the story so we can get to the the hoorah. Um, But she comes in and she describes us because of the balloon of the water it had dilated you extra and then you went back to what your your dilation should be. So then she was like, she prescribes, we're going to wait another couple hours to see how much you're dilating <laughs> naturally. So Aaron and I look at each other like, okay, Aaron's just going to sleep uh, another couple hours. We're going to wait till like 8 a.m. I got a. like 10 hours of sleep. <laughs> I, I had my whoop on and I'll get into that, but like, so like, 8 a.m. Very restorative. 8, 8 a.m. rolls around, and then we find out that her doctor is actually clocking out, and she's going to get a new doctor. So run us through what your mindset was when you, you heard that. Yeah, I was, like, very calm through this whole thing, I will say. And when I found that out, I was like, okay, that's interesting. Like, you know, you go through this whole pregnancy thinking the doctor that you see the whole time is the doctor that will deliver your baby. So I just – it kind of, like, came and went in my head. I was like, okay – disappointing, but I really hope this other doctor is good. (laughs) That's all I was concerned about. I was just like, I hope that everything is smooth with the doctor who is on shift today. So, uh, that, that was that, um, we decided that we were going to, at that point, induce with Pitocin because the epidural did slow down my contractions, which they did say, I mean, that's a known thing that can happen. Um, and that was one of the things that we, kind of contemplated when we decided we were going to get it is, hey, this could be prolong the whole process because it does slow things down. But I knew I would be able to get a lot of sleep and rest. So I was like, that's fine. But the fact that it didn't pick up again through the next morning, we were like, all right, we probably have to do something about this because my water had broken and everything like that. Baby was starting to descend a little bit, but not as quick as we would have hoped. So we started the Pitocin, that sped up the contractions, uh, made them stronger, and then um, the doctor came to introduce himself. This was like noon the next day. He was great, and he was like, I hear this baby is sunny side up, let me see what I can do. And we're all like, what? <laughs> like I was, they had me like on my side with a huge, what do they call it? Like a peanut ball in between my legs to lift like my top leg up to kind of like rock the pelvis a certain way to get him to turn was unsuccessful. The doctor came and he flipped the baby and everybody put his hand literally in you. All right. And everybody <laughs> was, it was crazy. Yeah. Everybody was like in shock. He was like, okay, he's good. And we we're all and like, he was what? so nonchalant about it. That yeah. was the cool. That was and the really cool part. Meanwhile, I'll save you from the gory details, but just know there was a lot of slushing of w- more water at that point. And I was just like, I don't know what is happening right now, but I'm just gonna stay calm and just you know, the worst case scenario is he doesn't flip the baby, and we go about this in a long way. They said that the labor would probably be, or the the pushing part would probably be longer. But anyway. <laughs> He flipped the baby, and at that point, things progressed really fast. Like, dilation was complete. The baby started descending. We learned from the doula that once we hit zero station, that we should ask to labor down, which meant that we just wait around a little bit for him to descend on his own rather than starting to push at that point, just to save me some energy and to let him kind of come down even more so that 
there was less work for me to do. So that was a really beneficial tidbit that we learned. Um, we did. We waited like another hour, and at that point, we started pushing, and uh, baby came really quickly after that. And we yeah, I mean, through all those literally details. within an hour and a half, um, and that was you pushing every other. Yeah, we had to wait every every other contraction, contraction which I think again is common. Um, it can be scary in the moment, but you know, you start to see they do the fetal monitoring, and, and you start to see. Uh, the baby's heart rate decelerate after every push. And the more birth stories I'm hearing, the more I'm learning that this happens to a lot of people. So it's, it, it makes logical sense that that would happen. But again, it's scary. You, you hear them being like, okay, flip to your slide. Okay, flip to the other side. He's, he's back. Okay, push again. And so like all that is scary to go through, but you know, you have trust and faith in them knowing what they're doing. So we had to wait every other contraction. Um, and at one point, <laughs> we made it really good progress. Um, it was a couple pushes in, and they, the, he started to come out, and then the doctor came. And of course, that last push was like the longest wait between contractions. But we made it, and he came out beautifully. And now here we are, one month later. Yeah. Where do we want to go with the rest of this? I just you wanted to wrap that story so. up with just like talking about the duel a little bit. And like we talked in the first episode about why we chose to get one. And it was really because both of us have been in situations in the medical world with the hospital system where we've been in situations where we weren't informed enough and looking back, wish that we were more informed to be able to advocate better in certain situations so it was really for that and also just being first-time parents and not going through this. Like, CJ wanted to know. <laughs> we have a little squeak from our, <laughs> our audience Let's here. see how long he gives us. Uh, CJ wanted to know what he could do to be as supportive as possible through the process. And, of course, I wanted to know, like, what to expect in all the things. So Yeah, so I'll, I'll give my perspective, I guess, on the value in that scenario, you already hit the nail on the head with improving decision-making. Uh, that is something that not only in the birth process, but in anything in life, if you can improve your decision-making and rely on people that have been through proce the process prior to you, it's going to just help you in anything that you do. So I think we don't do that enough outside of when we go to school. We go to school and we learn from teachers or if we're in the business world and we learn from consultants or coaches, but in everyday life, you can rely on people out there that have probably already done what you're going to do. So having her help with our decision-making, and especially for me, because sometimes you're out of capacity to like really right. understand what's going on. So the having someone there that speaks the lingo to the doctors helps the male drastically because in my mind, I'm in protective mode. Um, and then the second part that really helped was I kind of just got to be a little bit more of a bystander because when she's there and she's supporting your back and she's do like the next time around, I feel like I can be more involved because I, I got to watch her, but it allows me to do what I'm comfortable with, which is like supporting you holding your hand um, and not having to like overdo it. Because one of the things that's going to go through your head is as the male is like, how much should I say? Like, good job. Like keep going or like keep pushing. Like in my head, that took the stress of me having to say really anything away because she was walking you through that whole process. And all I had to focus on was like 
literally being by your side, holding your hand and making sure that uh, you were comfortable. And that reduced my stress by a lot. So anybody out there, like, um, it's not just advantageous for the woman to have the doula, but for the male, it's going to make it better for you, make it more comfortable. Um, and when you go to make decisions potentially for your wife, it's not just going to be you kind of like shotgunning it. There's going to be somebody there that's in your corner that, um, knows a lot more than you do in that moment. So let's, let's jump to, okay. Per post, uh, birth. So real quick, as soon as he's born, one of the things that I want to note that I think we did that not everyone does, and this is going back to the doula, um, we wanted to get skin to skin right away, and we didn't want them measuring him and prodding him and doing all that right when he was born. So we actually got to hold him for about an hour. Yeah, it was a long time. I was prior to like, that, when are you taking him to check him for all the day? It was great. Yeah, so we got to hold him, and and it was an amazing experience. So if you're if you're going to go through this process, I highly recommend um, advocating for yourself and like kind of that process because you're not going to think about that. The baby's out, and then everyone there's like 10 people in the room mm -hmm. doing different things and i highly recommend just getting as much time with the baby as possible um and then they're gonna do their thing and get you set up in in your room um but let's run through those first two nights like what was going through your mind and how are you feeling i think i was in the hospital i was still like in shock kind of that he was here and we went through everything i was very well rested. I didn't have an appetite at all, which was interesting. I was still, because I had the epidural, you have to kind of like wait for that to wear off. Um, you also had to, well, I had to finish the Pitocin because they want your uterus to contract to, that helps prevent hemorrhaging. So I was just still like on all kinds of fluids. And for me, like I, I felt like extremely swollen and was just kind of like trying to recover. It was hard to walk. At the same time, like... Couldn't go to the bathroom. Yeah, like help as much as I could with him. Uh, but they were also like nurses were in and out taking him, checking him, checking me, checking our vitals. So that was all kind of an interesting experience. But that first night, you know, you're, I, I chose to exclusively breastfeed. So it's... And either way, however you choose to feed, it's every two hours pretty much that you're up and feeding. Uh, the nurses come in about every two hours to check. Um, so those were the first two nights. I think, you know, he wasn't really alert enough to the world at that point. <laughs> but when we got him home, he, he was a little different. So he did sleep pretty good in the hospital. I mean, through his little stretches of two hours. Yeah, we got spoiled. Yeah, except <laughs> for the we were one there, night, we're like, oh, it's not except be for the one night where you rolled the, oh. the bassinet thing to your side so I could rest. Yeah, this and is all a... you just kept putting the pacifier back in his mouth every two seconds. So I had to roll the like makeshift hospital bassinet over to me, and then I had my hand in there because he would cry anytime the pacifier came out. He was like whining, so I'd literally like put it in. It would last like five minutes, and then I would. I would put my hand back in there. So I was like going in and out of consciousness as he's like crying yeah. uh, just so Aaron could, could get some rest. But um, I think the hardest part for us was, was when we got him home and like then like you don't have anybody guiding you. And we, we chose not to get a doula or anybody helping us because we really wanted to just that this part of the process, we wanted to just go in it ourselves and, and feel it. And I'm glad we did. But one of the things that, um, 
was, I don't like, like the word scary, but is you have this information. So for me, the swaddle, mm. they swaddle him in the hospital. They're like, this is, this is just a standard procedure. But our son kept like wanting to take his hands out of the swaddle. And I'm sitting there thinking like, if he's crying because his hands want to come out, like, why are we doing this? But in the first night or two, we're swaddling, put him in the bassinet and he like, he would not sleep. He wouldn't. And we're sitting there freaking out. Like, what do we do? What do we do? And we literally the first, first I night, we're just holding because, him the whole time. Like they say like, he needs to be on his back <laughs> and he kept turning his head, which, okay, that's fine. But I'm like, is that fine? Like every little thing you're like, is it fine if he does this? Is it okay if he does this? Like everything you're, you're just on super, paranoia about uh so yeah that that was the first two nights we were just in survival mode um did not and then the sleep. second night we thought we had a plan and this was a uh, an interesting thing don't to, make so the, plans yeah, yeah. The, the plan well be willing to switch the plan on a on a dime but our plan was okay one of us is going to be on the couch one of us is going to be in bed sleeping and the one on the couch is just going to hold them uh and then we'll rotate every two or three hours so one of the shifts that we wanted to rotate, like I had gotten him and he immediately literally like crapped his pants. So we had to change him. So then the person in the bed that's trying to get sleep, like is now yeah, awake as well. Cause the pad like, is in our room right yeah, now. Yeah. So we're like conflicted. I then sit back down and he, we, we learned this with boys that you have to put their pee pee down <laughs> because if you don't, he's going to pee upwards and it's going to go out yeah, of the have, oh, diaper th and it's going to get all over you. <laughs> too late in the game. But, but yeah. that night peed on me right after that, change him again. And then I finally sit back down and then he, uh, what is the word? Uh, spit up on me. So it was just like right away. And this is like two or three in the morning. Like, okay, this is, we're going to have to just like audible a lot here. Um, and you can't do anything but laugh that, that that's the beauty in it. Like you're so freaking tired. And I just remember sitting there, like you're the waves of emotions going up, like, yeah. Oh my God, I, I need to sleep. And then like, Oh my God, he's so beautiful though. Yeah. That's how I was. <laughs> like I was so tired, but when I was holding him, I was just like, this is the best thing ever. I just want to hold you and stare at you forever. I don't care if I ever sleep again. <laughs> that's how I felt. And then, you know, eventually you're just so exhausted that you can't like no matter what you're thinking about you just have to sleep so we did we eventually got sleep we trained him to sleep in his bassinet during the day that third day and then we also learned from the pediatrician that it's okay if he takes his arms out so once I got that confirmation from the doctor that like we could keep his arms out of the swaddle he can have his head a certain way or whatever just flip the side of the head um we got him in the bassinet and then sleeping started to go well from there on out. Yeah. We like the beauty is like we both track our sleep and, um, it was, it was seven days like of inconsistent sleep. And ever since then we've been pretty consistent now, still more tired than you would be just cause you're spending energy and you're getting up three Every or four hours, times yeah. throughout the night. But it is definitely hundred percent manageable. Um, and, so fulfilling and I'd love to kind of wrap this episode with kind of just the culmination of how the month has been and just any feelings that yeah, you have with that. I think for me, uh, you know, something that doesn't get talked about enough or a lot is the postpartum recovery process for women. You know, you, like I said, in the beginning, you have all these check-ins with your doctor throughout the pregnancy to check in on the baby 
and you, um, but then you have the baby and you don't go for your next appointment for another six weeks. And depending on your birth experience and delivery, um, you know, that could be really traumatic for a lot of people. Or, you know, I had an uncomplicated delivery process, but you're still going through a ton of recovery. Like I couldn't walk. I mean, we had to make an emergency. I also had to make an emergency visit to the OB um, because of the bleeding. You know, they, they tell you a couple of things as you're leaving, just as like a, an exit survey and whatever they, they give you, like, if you see this, call us right away. If you see this, call us. And one of the things was around the bleeding and, um, you know, post, post birth hemorrhaging can be like a really dangerous thing. So I did notice, you know, I was having some extreme bleeding and we decided to go. We were like, let's not risk it. So went and uh, got confirmation if, you know, that everything was okay. Um, This was five days after. Yeah, that was five days postpartum. But yeah, I think just like the, you through the end of your pregnancy, you're so ready to not be pregnant anymore. And then you give birth and you're not pregnant anymore, but you're also not yourself either. You're recovering, your hormones have plummeted and they do, you know, I was fully prepared to be experiencing the po- the postpartum hormone drop. Uh, I will say, I don't think I've felt it to a degree of like concern, but I have felt different. And I'm still like eager to feel more myself again, but I'm very grateful so far that I've I've felt pretty good, and I've been able to like try to do some of the things that make me feel good. Like I think it's going to be hard to feel yourself if you can't do the things that are yourself. Like, yeah, that that's the thing for you is just like you like to run and you like to work out and you like to go to classes and you you like to be on the go a lot and it just wouldn't be smart of you to do that. And giving yourself grace, which you have done has been inspiring to watch because it's not easy to almost be somebody that you're not. Yeah. Like you just really want to speed up the process. You're depending, like I said, on, on the birth experience, you could be in a lot of pain. Luckily my pain subsided within a couple of days and I was back to being able to walk. Okay. I'd say after like six days it took, Uh, And then, you know, still now I'm taking it easy, but I'm not someone that likes to take it easy. So it's been challenging in that regard. But yeah, just the recovery in general, I think, you know, is really something that women, everyone does check in on the baby and everyone does, you know, ask you questions about that. And that's great. But like not a lot of people remember that the mom just went through like a traumatic experience and is still recovering so there's a lot that needs. yeah to I, th- I think that on. takes uh, yeah and for the men out there like i mean we do a good job of checking in with each other i mean this is one of the ways that we do it but i don't <laughs> i don't necessarily think every relationship out there is is doing that and especially in a time where everything is completely new so you have the mom who has her own emotions and then the male who has his own emotions but um one thing that I've been very keen on is just checking in with you every day and just asking the the more intense, how are you doing? Not the, the passerby, how are you doing? Like, yeah. oh, I'm good. Like, no, like, how are you doing? If you need time or if you need something, like, let me know. And uh, I feel like we've, we've hit a good cadence. Uh, one thing I want to note that if you are, a couple that is breastfeeding, 
as the male, like something that I've learned is just like doing any little thing that you can to take some time when your wife isn't taking time to breastfeed, like holding the baby or being with the baby, giving her some time to herself. Um, and yeah, it's been really helpful. Like we, we learned this from my sister again, shout out to them, but I mean, just a nice routine is in the night when we, when I wake up to, to feed, um, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of guys out there that continue to go to sleep, but CJ also wakes up and changes the diaper and everything. And, and I just feed. So it's a huge help to be able to do that and have just having him also wake up just even if it's less time than I have to be up, but just kind of going through it together helps a lot. Um, I think I would be a little more stressed if you continue to sleep through the entire night. <laughs> it's just up at constantly. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And that, I mean, that brings up another great point is there's a lot of people and there's no right way. I want to, I want to yeah, yeah. make that clear. There's a lot of people out there that probably are, are splitting rooms or doing couch and, and bed. I think one of the things that stressed us out in the beginning is like you and I didn't want to leave the bed. Like we want to be in bed together. Um, and we want to keep that bond between us and strengthen that throughout the process. And it was one of the stressors was one of us having to be on the couch again, that only lasted about four or five days. Then we're back in our own room and he's, he's right near us. And it was something that I thought about. It was just like, what, what can I do? And, um, it changes every day because every day is new. He's doing something new every day, which is really cool to watch. Um, but let's wrap with what has been the most fulfilling moments over the past month? Because I want to end on this because a lot of people talk about the stress of having a newborn yeah. and an infant. Yeah. You're totally and right. I want to end it in the reverse of how fulfilling it's been. Yeah. I think there has been so much joy. I will just say in summary that I think he's been like a blessing for us that we didn't even know we needed. Like I told CJ right away, I was just like, I think this is what I've been missing in my life. Like he's so much to me. I feel a love like you can't even imagine. And so I think that in itself is extremely fulfilling. It immediately gives me a different purpose um, or adds to my purpose for sure. And I think the moments that have been most fulfilling have been, you know, we've been fortunate. We don't have family here close to us, but we were fortunate to have them fly down and spend the first couple weeks um, to help us and to bond with him. And seeing him with them has been really fulfilling. Um, having a successful breastfeeding journey so far has been really fulfilling. I think that that's allowed me to bond with him and that's crazy because it's just something that like years ago I would think about and just not really be able to fathom or not even picture myself doing that. And now I'm just like, I'm so grateful for this experience and to watch him even grow in just a couple weeks has been great. Yeah. It gives me chills thinking about it. I think for me being the male, there was, there was fear of struggling to bond early on because again, people will project certain stories on you as you're going through this process. And one of the stories that was projected on me is like the baby is bonding a lot with the woman because he's feeding from you and he's just naturally he's gravitating used to towards being you. in my belly for yeah. 10 months. Yeah. And I was afraid that I, it would be hard to bond with him. But then like going back to kind of like my business brain of just like be your authentic self and everything will happen. And 
I've been waiting for this moment. I feel like my whole life, like everything in life has culminated to this moment of now I have this little being in front of me and everything that I do matters. Every moment matters. And I like, I, I'm someone that likes that pressure and likes it. Uh, and it fires me up. So it's in my mind, I'm like, in these moments, what matters most? Like he just needs to see me smiling and like holding him and touching him and and changing him and singing and dancing with him. And if I'm this little being that's out in this world, like what do I want to see? And that's kind of how I've thought about it. And because I think I've approached it that way, the most fulfilling moment I get is when he, he just stares at me. Yeah. And, and I, I know he knows me. for me too. Yeah. Like to see him look at you, like he doesn't even look at me like that, <laughs> <laughs> but he just loves staring at you. So that's really cool to see. That is, that, is, that has been the most fulfilling. And then on top of that, going back to our family in town is just like seeing your parents who like, they're your parent and you, you have this view of them, see them become kind of gushy and bring out their inner child a little yeah. bit that you that you know that they were doing that with you but mm-hmm. we're so young we couldn't tell so i feel like it's going to create a better relationship throughout our entire family because it it just unlocks this view of your parents that you can't have unless you see them in this environment and then you're just like damn and also like the sleepless nights and the things yeah. that you're going through, you're like, damn, they did this for me. Like, th- this is how I got here. My mom has said a couple of times, she's like, now you know how much I love you. And I'm like, yeah, like I know. And that that has been a really cool revelation for me too. It's just like, wow, that love you just can't even describe until it's there. It's indescribable. I wrote a tweet today that was like, okay, we've had our child for a month and I could write a thread on the experience, but I just... I can't write. It's just indescribable. So we'll wrap there. Little man, I love you. Made it. You've crushed it right now. Sleeping. <laughs> I can't. Why? His room, the room is way better. Like it's super he bright in here. to hear us talk. And He's heard it the whole 10 months. <laughs> and just to give you a picture of him, like as I was saying, with the, we, have, we have a swat on and his hands are literally right next to his ears. So they're just pointed up next to his ears and he has his head tilted. Um, He's beautiful, but anything before we go? That is all. That is all. This was part two of Becoming Parents. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go listen to that. Uh, We're going to be chatting a little bit more frequently on the podcast. One of the things that we want to do, not only to build a better relationship between ourselves, but get connected with other parents and other people and relationships out there is just talking about our lives and and what we're doing on a daily basis and struggles, strengths, everything in between, and hopefully creating more connections and and conversations in in those arenas. So stay tuned for that. If you liked this episode and you believe it could be helpful to somebody else out there, the best thing that you can do is share it. Please send it to somebody in need that this could benefit and give us that five-star rating and review. Till next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. 
So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.